Welcome, welcome everyone uh, to episode two of the Let's Talk Surgery podcast for RCS Ed. Uh, I am Gregory Akata, uh, your host, and I am pleased to be joined by my co-host and friend, Ceci. Ceci, how are you? I'm fine. Hi, guys. It's a pleasure to be back um, hosting this podcast, and I'm really excited for the episode we have ahead. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so today we have uh, a treat for you all. We are bringing to you an audience with the presidents. And today on the show, we have Professor Michael Griffin, president of RCS Ed, and Professor Ron Parks, vice president of RCS Ed. Uh, Ceci, what are you looking forward to the most? Well, there's so much to pick from. These are two giants in the surgical world. Um, they're both um, leaders of the college we both belong to, and it will be great to get their insights on leadership and on the current situation and just get to know a bit more about them. So I'm really excited. Yeah, so we, we get to unpick some of their personality. We also get to have some serious discussion around uh, COVID and the college and what the future holds. So uh, I am really, really looking forward to uh, having the next hour dedicated to these two gentlemen. Yeah, let's jump into it. Welcome, uh, the college president, uh, Professor Mike Griffin and vice president, uh, Professor Rowan Parks. How are you both? Very good. Thank you very much. It's delight delight to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Great to be here. Thanks, Gregory and Ceci. Yeah, thanks for joining us. I had the pleasure of working with you both as the leadership fellow for RCS Ed last year. Uh, I must say uh, you were both very kind, uh, both with time advice um, and your stewardship throughout the year. And I thought I'd take this opportunity to thank you both for that. And I'm sure Ceci would do the same in terms of what experience she's had so far over the last month. Yeah, it's been absolutely fantastic. Um, as the world knows, we are in very, very different times. Everything is being done remotely, but even though I'm far away, I've not felt far away, so to speak. Everyone's been so welcoming and both of you have already given me so much of your time. So yeah, it's great. So I thought, given uh, that it's not very often we get to sit with the president and vice president of the College of Surgeons of Edinburgh, we should get to know you both a little bit better. So, uh, President, we'll start with you. If you just give us a, a little snapshot of who Mike Griffin actually is. Well, I was born in Newcastle-upon-Tyne. Um, and went to uh, school initially um, in Sunderland and then went to school in Edinburgh. And so I was at school in Edinburgh, then went to Newcastle University and um, studied medicine and qualified in medicine in Newcastle and then um, trained in surgery in Newcastle and Carlisle and Hong Kong and um, became consultant esophagogastric uh, surgeon in uh, the Royal Victoria Infirmary where we set up the Northern Esophagogastric Cancer Unit um, which uh, is still the biggest cancer unit of its type in the whole of Europe. And so I was an esophagogastric cancer surgeon. Uh, so that's my history in in terms of um, how I my career went. Ever so modest. I think there's a little bit more uh, than that, but we'll we'll touch on it uh, later on. Um, Professor Parks, uh, we'll come to you then. Who is Rowan Parks? Okay, so I am um, a Belfast boy. I yeah, was born, grew up in Belfast, went to school there. Um, as with many people from Northern Ireland, stayed in Northern Ireland to go to medical school, Queen's University Belfast, where I graduated and then uh, started postgraduate training. I did basic surgical training, my period of research, and then higher specialty training all around Northern Ireland. And uh, towards the latter stage of that, started focusing on HPV surgery. I came to Edinburgh, I thought, to do a 12-month uh, fellowship, post-CCT fellowship, and uh, I'm still here 22 years later, so uh, I ended up staying 
uh, and working here in Edinburgh at the Royal Infirmary of Edinburgh in the HPV unit. So that's been my professional journey. Um, still have a lot of family and friends in Belfast and Northern Ireland, but uh, I think it's safe to say Edinburgh is definitely my uh, home now. And uh, our own kids and family have all grown up here and are, are still generally around Edinburgh. So Edinburgh is my home at the minute. Yeah, I, I can attest to some of that. I came across uh, from Nigeria to Scotland, uh, found Edinburgh, and I still haven't left. And if anything, I would also call Edinburgh home, so I, I can relate to what you're, what you're talking about there. What we'll do next is go through some quickfire questions, if I may, um, to really get to know you a little bit better. So, uh, Mike Griffin, Newcastle or Sunderland FC? Sunderland, uh, all the time. I was I was brought up about 400 yards away from Roker Park, which is where Sunderland played. And these were the days when Sunderland were the Bank of England club. They were the best the best club and best finance club in the uh, in the whole of the football league. And the one thing about Sunderland Football Club that can never be beaten is that uh, they were in the first division or the Premier League of um, English football for the longest from its inception as a club all the way through to when it finally went uh, was relegated for the first time in the late uh, the early 60s so uh, it has a um a record that can never be beaten <laughs> well that's that's one way to put it uh, currently playing in what division just out of interest i've forgotten actually uh, <laughs> Uh, I, I, this is. I, I thought this was going to be a fun um, podcast. <laughs> I don't, we'll get, you're already making me very, very upset. And we'll get I, to the fun bits later. I want to ask a question of, of my vice president, Rowan Parks. Yes, of course. Which country does he support at rugby now that his oh. home is here in Edinburgh? Well, you've, stolen, my you've stolen one of uh, <laughs> his questions, but I'll answer it. So uh, I'll support uh, Scotland for any match unless they're playing Ireland. So uh, Ireland is still the number one team that uh, we support. Um, and uh, But unless they're playing... Unless Scotland are playing Ireland, I will support Scotland as well. So, uh, and, and that's interesting because of our four children, three of them were born in Northern Ireland and all supported Ireland. Our youngest one supported Scotland because he was born in Scotland, but even he has now changed allegiance and supports uh, Ireland as well. So it's a family um, uh, all round. We all support Ireland. Okay, uh, excellent. Uh, so next, next question, um, Rowan Parks. If hepatobiliary surgery was not a thing, what would you do with yourself? Oh, that's a good question. I, when I was training, I, I enjoyed every specialty I did. Um, so I started and I did some neurosurgery, loved it, thought I'd be in neurosurgery, then went to vascular surgery, enjoyed it, wanted to be a, a vascular surgeon. I even did trauma and orthopedics and I really enjoyed trauma and orthopedics. Um, and then I ended up doing general surgery as the last of my uh, basic surgical rotation and uh, actually worked, worked with an HPB surgeon then who inspired me um, to, to do HPB surgery as, as a then called SHO, basic surgical trainee. Uh, and that's what started me on the journey. I went into research um, on jaundice and uh, then took an interest in higher surgical training and HPB surgeon. So if I wasn't an HPB surgeon, Oh, I guess it might have even been orthopedics, trauma and orthopedics, because that was uh, probably what I did before I did my last BST placement in general surgery. So there you go. I might edit that out of the podcast. <laughs> 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 Professor Griffin, what about you? So for gastric surgery is no longer on the syllabus. Uh, what would you do with yourself? Well, what? All through my training, I wanted to do trauma and orthopedics um, as a medical student. And even the early years, um, I wanted to do trauma and orthopedics because of my passion of sport. I played most sports, uh, absolutely adored sport. And I thought that as I got older, when I wasn't playing any um, level of sport, that um, being a trauma and orthopedic surgeon would keep me close to um, to the sporting activities because of the injuries associated with it. So I always wanted to do trauma and orthopedics. 
And then I discovered a little bit more about what trauma orthopedics was all about. And unlike Rowan Parks, I decided I thought that I could do something um, more challenging. (laughs) That's why I went into esophagastric surgery, because there you, you have to operate on the chest and the abdomen and you have to get things to heal and to, to heal together and you have to look after the heart, the lungs and the, uh, the physiology and the pathophysiology of the GI tract and there is nothing more challenging than that, Greg. I, I would beg to differ being a colorectal surgeon. I think colorectal is the pinnacle of, of surgery. Um, but also to Ian Ritchie and to our other TNO colleagues, we respect what you do. Uh, have no fear. Um, fi- final final questions from me. Um, just before that, actually, uh, Mike Griffin, you talked about your love of sports. Rumor has it that you represented Scotland at international level. Is that true or false in rugby? Uh, it, it's true. I played for um, I played for um, during my um, club days. I played for Gosforth Rugby Club, which is in Newcastle, which um, actually won the national knockout and won the league, the, the actual league, three years running. It was a very very um, good club. But I, um, because I'd been at school in Scotland, I'd been picked for Scotland under-19s. So I played for Scotland under-19s against the Welsh and the Irish. And, um, and then I played for Scotland under-21s and, um, and Scotland B-side. But I gave up at the age of just coming up to 22, because I couldn't get every weekend off um, when I was a houseman. Um, and it was a one in two on call. And so it was difficult to get the train training in and to get every game the weekend. So I sadly had to give up, which was um, one, of the, one of the sadder days in my life, because rugby was part of my life. That potentially would have changed the fortunes of Scottish rugby to even make Rowan Park support us as well. But anyway, it was before before Professor Parks was born. (laughs) (laughs) Not quite, not quite. There you go, microphone. I thought you were much younger. But final question from me then. Um, To Rowan Parks, I'll come to you first. What is your biggest inspiration, both now and past? I, I think, you know, I, I've had the pleasure of working with numerous people who've uh, been fantastic role models um, and, and inspired me right through my early days training, through uh, consultant practice, working here in Edinburgh, um, just great characters um, and also great people who, who have generally been uh, an inspiration uh, to me. I, I think what now, you know, inspires me is trying to do what I can for the next generation uh, and trying to um, help for trainees I, you know I think they're the future so we need to always be thinking about how we make it better for those following us so I guess that's my passion my, my real desire uh, the college is a fantastic way of trying to facilitate that um, I've also been involved with other organizations both specialty association and also um, more recently uh, statutory education body and then Scotland NHS education for Scotland so you know that that's what inspires me to to get up in the morning get uh, to get involved to see what we can do and how we can make things better for those that are following us so I, I guess that's my inspiration um outside work you know I guess my my family or what inspired me my father was a surgeon as was Mike's uh, and I think there's no doubt the influence that um significant role models and parents play is important uh, and certainly my father was a huge inspiration uh, to me and what he achieved in his professional career uh, and I guess uh, you know I'm taking now enjoyment in my family and my kids as they pursue their various careers interestingly none of them have chosen surgery none of them have chosen medicine um, but they're all doing fantastic things and in their own way um, it's great to see how they've evolved and developed so I, I think for me that's what inspired me at what continues to motivate me and uh, hopefully leave something that uh, can be picked up by others to, to follow on. Yeah, and, and I must say, having worked closely with you for a year, I still cannot understand how you find 
24 hours in a day to do everything you do and I'm constantly in awe. Um, one more question for you before I let you go. Um, if Noah's Ark was to come back again and there was only one spot left, you've got uh, Steve Wigmore or OJ Gordon, who would you let on? Oh, that's a tough one. I couldn't pick between yeah, two of my closest colleagues, um, Greg. <laughs> one, one of them's retired. <laughs> There's no no doubt. James uh, Garden has has you know supported me and uh, gave me a job and uh, has been a great um, role model. Um, Steve has been a fantastic colleague. When I first moved to Edinburgh, the first trainee I met in the corridor was Steve uh, and, and uh, he and Andrew Debeau, the three of us, were the three registrars um, on the HPB transplant unit at the time. We formed a really close, close friendship um, that you know has, has stuck the test of, of time. We, we're now colleagues working closely together. So to have the immediate past uh, Regis Chair of Surgery uh, and the current Regis Chair of Surgery in Edinburgh is two of my closest friends I, I, I couldn't choose I, I must admit uh, Gregory between them otherwise one of them would have me for breakfast so you're going to give up your spot for the both of them I'd give up my spot for both of them I would <laughs> ever, ever selfless uh, Professor Griffin uh, your inspiration either past or current um, it has to be my father um, he, he was a cardiac surgeon in the time when you needed courage to fail. Um, this was operating on the heart where you had to be in and out within 30 seconds to do a mitral valvotomy. You had to be very quick and very uh, slick and, um, and have the courage to do it. And the one thing that I learned from him was, uh, apart from the fact that he was never at home, uh, because he was always at work, um, and I probably that quite a lot of that rubbed off on me, but the one thing was that he always, always cared, and it was abundantly clear that it cared. He brought it back uh, home. I saw it when things didn't go so well, but he cared, and he spoke and talked to patients Um uh, probably better than anybody I um, uh, even I saw during my training, and and that's why I became passionate about communication, and um, talking to patients, particularly with cancer, became one of my real um, hobby horses. That uh, I, I felt it was something that was done very badly, um, certainly in my training and early years. And, um, so I, my attention to detail over talking to patients and their families about diagnoses, difficult diagnoses, and um, and telling them the truth about um, what they were facing and um, and being honest and, and real about prognosis and outcome. And I felt that that was absolutely key to them trusting me so that I could trust them to do their bit to get through what with esophagogastric cancer surgery was a, a huge journey. And so communication was a big part of my practice. And, and if you communicate well, you're clearly caring well. And I learned that from my father. Thank you so much, um, Mike Griffin, for all the insight that you shared with us and also Rowan Parks. And it's been great getting to know you a little bit better. Um, I'll just say, put my little two cents first as a pediatric surgeon, the only in the group. Um, I think if we're competing with difficult specialties, I'll, I'll just say children are very small and require a lot of skill to operate on. So I'll just put my, my own little two cents there. It's not a competition, Ceci. It's not a competition. <laughs> it's always a competition with us, Greg. You know this by now. So um, just moving on to a bit more of the business side, the college has gone through a lot of exciting changes in the past week or so. First of which is the new logo. Um, I know you've released a, a statement on the college website, which I've been delighted to read, but why don't you tell us a little bit more about it and a bit about the inspiration behind it? Well, thank you, Ceci. To, uh, it, it's actually close to my heart. It, um, I had, Rowan knows better than most, that I had wanted to change the logo for some time. Um, I felt that uh, the, lo the existing logo that had been there for about 10 years, um, I thought uh, needed refreshing. Um, 
I had not been um, a huge fan of it because I felt that it didn't really reflect um, the history, the real history and tradition of the of the college. And and so I um, asked Jan Cutting, our director of marketing and communications, to look into the development of a new logo. And the logo that we decided on, and this was uh, unanimous, I'm delighted to say, amongst office bearers, and I'm delighted to say that all the council members uh, feel that it's um, really good and appropriate and modern and um, forward-thinking. And um, and and if I talked you through it, um, it was um, it, it brought together a couple of items from our sigillum, um, which is uh, very important. One was the the sun, the setting sun, or the rising sun rather, which was the sun rising over ignorance, which we felt was important to keep in our logo or have in our logo. And we also thought that. We needed to make sure that people knew that this was um, an international college as well as a, a United Kingdom college. And bringing in the globe into the sun, I thought, was uh, a, a nice idea to, to demonstrate our internationality. We kept the castle from the Sigillum because Edinburgh Castle is such a, um iconic figure um, or example of what Edinburgh is. And Edinburgh um, is such a proud city of education. Um, Edinburgh University, one of the great universities in the world, um, its reach is huge, it's global. Um, and Edinburgh medicine and surgery has such a history. Um, and so many huge developments in medicine and surgery started here in Edinburgh. And so we're very proud of that. And we felt that the, the castle demonstrated our pride in where the college, college's home was. Um, and so, and we also wanted to delight in the tradition, which was that we are the oldest Royal College in the world, which is from 1505. And that was included in it. And then we looked. Uh, we wanted to look at uh, further history that associated Scotland and our heritage, and we discovered that James the Fourth, who gave our seal of cause um, in fifteen oh six, he in on his original coinage for, that was issued during his reign had the unicorn on the coinage. Um, and the unicorn is a is a an uh, an, an emblem of healing um, throughout all the world. Um, we looked at um, Asia, we looked at Africa, we looked out throughout the um, the, uh, the the international um, our international partners and discovered that the unicorn was always viewed favorably as a a sign of healing, and um, and it's it's also uh, f looks forward thinking as well. I think if if you look at the semiotics of this, which is how it looks, um, the fact that it is looking to the right um, is all a forward thinking um, aspect, and and I also on a personal level thought that the unicorn not only because it's part of Scottish heraldry, it's part of James IV's coinage, but it's also part of being young at the moment. Um, my children were brought up with Harry Potter and unicorns. And um, it was interesting that just one of the text messages that came through when they saw this logo was uh, a comment from a friend of mine who said, my nine-year-old thinks that the the logo is fantastic because it's got a unicorn on it. Well, I think that, that it would appeal to the youngsters as well. And um, so I was quite passionate about this and I'm delighted that Rowan very much supported me on this and, and, um, and everybody thought this was the right way forward. So we're quite proud of it. 
Well, that definitely comes across. And um, as a college member myself, I'm very proud of it. I think um, it looks absolutely fantastic. And it's great to see that there's so much history behind it. And there's so much thought that's gone into the delivery of such an iconic logo, Professor Parks. Um, so speaking of new things, we very recently launched a college app. Um, would you mind just giving us a bit of insight into the sort of process that went behind that and your initial thoughts. Well, my initial thoughts are, I'm very impressed. I've got it on my phone and it's so easy to use, but it'll be great to know a bit of the behind the scenes. Delighted to, Ceci. So so this has been something that uh, we've been passionate about delivering, uh, I guess, for a number of months. Um, We are doing a lot of work behind the scenes to um, renew and upgrade our whole IT and uh, digital... um, I guess infrastructure. Uh, so, so that is a big project. That's uh, a big investment for the college. Uh, it's going to take several years. It's well underway. The first phase of it is completed. We're into the second phase of that. But along this journey, we we really felt that what we needed was something um, that was for our fellows and members to make it easy to access information about the college. Uh, traditionally, we've always used websites and and email communication. Um, but there's no doubt that we have to move with the times and the modern way is very much making it digitally accessible on mobile devices. So an app was something that we were really, uh, amongst council members, passionate that this was had to be seen as a priority. Um, and indeed, we had to build that into the whole IT and digital development. Um, so, so it's been work in progress for a number of months, but the key aims is to make the college accessible to to fellows members and indeed known fellows and members so that they can access and start to get get information but but built around communication so it's all about keeping um, college uh, informed of what's happening so uh, news items um, information about exams courses uh, and just generally what's going on in the college there's also member benefits highlighted uh, and the idea is that this will become more personal and as time goes on, um, we can uh, adjust the content of what's pushed out to, to fellows and members to suit their needs and their interests and their stage um, in their career pathway, be it at a very early stage, our affiliates and those who are still medical students, foundation doctors, core trainees, through to those preparing for be it MRCS or FRCS exams, so we can tailor the content. Uh, And then to those who are more established in practice, looking for CPD opportunities, they'll be able to access, they'll be able to do all the booking on, uh, on the digital device, on their mobile phone, uh, and, you know, the functionality of it will just increase as time goes on. So that's some of the, the journey what we've got on. It was released at the end of August and certainly the early feedback has been hugely positive uh, and that's uh, something we'll now build on. But we're always keen to hear what can be added to it, how it can be made better. So for trainees, for consultants, for our international colleagues, you know, how can we make this work better for you? Uh, and if we get that feedback, um, we, we'll feed that into the team to to make sure we make those adjustments and developments uh, as time goes on. So that's a little bit of the journey of how we've got to where we're at at the minute, Ceci. Well, thank you so much. And um, just for all of you listening, there is um, an email address that you can send correspondence to. So I'm sure um, Professor Parks and Professor Griffins will be very um, interested in knowing what you guys think. Absolutely, and and that's comms, uh, C-O-M-M-S, at rcsz.ac.uk. Please uh, send in your questions, comments, uh, messages for President, Vice President. Uh, We can put it to them and and get back to your future episodes. Uh, Early feedback for you both uh, as one who has downloaded the, the app and used it. I think it is fantastic. It is very easy to use and it's got everything you need at your fingertips and uh, revising from my FRCS couldn't be easier going through all those webinars. So thank you both. Mike, I know this has also been very dear to your heart. Any comments about it? Uh, Rowan said it all um, and he says it better than I do always. And um, <laughs> no, it is, it's, it's fantastic. It's been a little bit long in the making. We hoped that it was going to be out um, in sort of March, April, but with COVID and with a few other things, it just delayed it. But 
um, it's it's a tremendous um, uh, development. And and I would say I would pay tribute to Angus Watson uh, because Rowan will remember that it was Angus who said we need to get an app out um, uh, for all our youngsters, our trainees, our members, um, and affiliates because they that that's what they respond to. And um, so Angus was really very much on the ball. And when I talked to the trainees committee, and once again, I'm not saying it because Ceci and, and Greg are on the call here, uh, but the reality is that the best ideas that this college comes out with comes from the trainees because they're the future of our uh, they're the future of surgery and they know what it's like at grassroots level and they come out with some fa fabulous ideas uh, for us to develop and um, and when we talked to them about the app they were absolutely delighted and so it was sold we're very proud to be part of a college that respects innovation and encourages us youngsters to get involved um, yeah, absolutely. And and it also shows the college leading the way uh, again for, for other colleges uh, to potentially follow uh, moving forward. Um, moving on, I think both you both have been uh, inspirations to, to future generations. You've been prominent leaders both in the college and uh, in the wider community both during the COVID crisis and, and before, and I'm sure you will be uh, after. Uh, Mike, I wonder if we could come to you it's a shame that we couldn't have the Toronto conference uh, due to the COVID crisis, but I thought we'd give you an opportunity to talk us through sort of your mission statement when you took over uh, the role as, as president, um, how far you've come with that and what your priorities are uh, for the rest of your term. Well, um, uh, there were a number of things that I wanted to achieve, um, but most of all, I wanted to invest in the future of surgery, which is training and trainees. And I felt that um, in perhaps in the last 20, 30 years, trainees had not been top of the agenda. And, and actually, without trainees, we're nothing. Without the future generation of surgeons, we are nothing. And also, I had a little bit of a vested interest because, you know, the, the odds are that I'll need a surgeon one day when I'm, if I'm blessed to get to my 80s or whatever, I will definitely need a surgeon and I want them to be the top draw. Mike, so, give me a call anytime. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope it's not colorectal. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, well, you're past the pediatric stage, so well, <laughs> I was about I to say. <laughs> I would love Ceci to look after me. <laughs> oh, oh, thanks. I am still on this podcast, by the way. <laughs> so, so, yes, my, my, one of my missions was to, to um, invest in trainees and to make sure that their voice was heard and, we, and that we, we actually um, did everything we possibly could to make it better for them. And and so that idea of making it better was was the theme that I had envisioned for um, the triennial. And um, in some respects, I was focusing on women uh, and women in surgery because um, we still were not getting to the to the to the dream of having 50 percent of the consultant surgical staff of the United Kingdom being women and fifty percent being men, uh, we're getting to the stage of fifty percent going into surgery, but we still were ending up with only fifteen percent uh, being consultant and consultants, and that was wrong, and therefore we weren't get doing things right to keep women in surgery. And I, be I believe that women are possibly even better suited to, to be surgeons than men, actually. And um, I, I really felt uncomfortable um, about the fact that during my training, uh, two women I knew really well who were outstanding clinicians and surgeons um, gave up after they got their fellowship. Um, and they gave up and, and both of them ended up as general practitioners. And I think they would have been outstanding surgeons and leaders in surgery. And they gave up 
for what reasons? And it was just not possible for them to, for instance, have a family and bring up a family and still do the job that they loved. And so I wanted um, to have the focus of the triennial of making it better for women. And if you make it better for women, you make it better for everybody. And that includes trainees, includes men, it includes everyone, health, other healthcare workers. And so that was the theme of the triennial that you were referring to, Greg. And, and um, I also made another really good decision, which was to put Rowan in charge of it, <laughs> because <laughs> there is no better person that, to organize a meeting than Rowan Parks. He's an absolute genius at running meetings. And so I said, Rowan, this is my what I want to do. This is what I want to achieve. And so Rowan ran with it. <laughs> and sadly, for, for, the, for the reasons that you alluded to, um, uh, it didn't happen, but it will happen next year. That's good. That's good. And, and we look forward to it. And, you know, I, I agree. Rowan Parks's organization, uh, certainly as part of it, the early stages, uh, was, was phenomenal. And we were looking forward to still a cast and great content. And I really hope that we do get to have uh, that conference again in the future. Yeah, um, in terms of your priorities for the rest of the term, uh, including the triennial, anything else you'd be able to share with us just now? Well, the goalposts have changed, Greg, with uh, COVID, and uh, it's been a challenging time for the college. Um, We've had to furlough staff um, for some of the period. Um, I'm delighted to say that virtually all of them are back full-time working now, Um, and we had to uh, close the college, uh, the infrastructure of the college and the museum, and to a certain extent the hotel um, to paying customers if you like um that was back in march and so um it's been challenging running the college and its educational uh, capacity from um my home here in rural northumberland um uh, but we have all risen to that challenge uh, all the council and uh, the committee members and our college staff have just worked incredibly efficiently and effectively from home and we've learned a lot and we've achieved a lot during that time however because of college business not being able to run like exams and assessments and things like that there are um, financial challenges and what we face next year and i hope it will be next year or certainly part of next year is a recovery period where we're able to uh, restart the activities on a face-to-face basis um whilst uh running all these committees and council virtually has been an education and we've realized just how much we can do effectively um there is something that you miss of that face-to-face interaction, the the chats with colleagues offline, um, not in committee, over a glass of Pepsi Max, um, (laughs) or some other other colas are available, I should say. Um, I'm worried about you um, marketing this, uh, Greg. Um, So um, there are things that you do miss and I miss having a, a, a sort of a sit, sit down with Rowan and, and Raj, our other vice president and other members of council and just chewing the fat and chatting about things um, because ideas come out of that. What happens with Zoom calls and things like and, and such like is that you finish the call and it's over. And there's no chat afterwards. Um, And so that is one aspect that I I miss a lot and that I think that um, we will look forward to getting back. But it's also the whole recovery process of um, bringing staff back. um, uh, And I don't think they will ever come back the way they, they used to. Uh, I think it will be a blended way of working for our college staff. I think that they have worked extremely uh, efficiently at home. Uh, But there are those that want to come back to the workplace and and enjoy the relationship building that happens. So I think it will be blended. I think some people will work at home. uh, Some people will work at home and in the workplace. And, um, And I think it will be a, a happier 
and it will be a more effective way of working. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, and I think um, from a personal point of view, I think that we couldn't have a better leadership uh, trying to get us through the recovery uh, than yourself, Rowan, office bearers, Tony, Oxford, and, and others at the helm of the college. So we wish you well, and we'll be a part of that uh, as the college moves forward. Yes, Greg, I can just add, you know, I think Mike, Mike has led tremendously well um, with his usual passion and enthusiasm, but that's actually what's driven uh, the office bears and, and council forward. It's been challenging, um, but, but I, I think huge credit to, to the president for um, the way he's handled that. Um, uh, the motivation of staff has been fantastic. Uh, you know, our college staff are unbelievable. The amount of work that they have put into ensuring we, we get everything up and running again and um, see you know the the brighter future that, that is ahead so I think testament to Mike for for his enthusiasm passion and commitment over the last few months but uh, there is lots to do uh, and I think the next few months uh, and indeed the next year for us as a, an office bear team is important uh, and not just domestically here in the UK uh, but also all the work that's done internationally as well and I think you know Raj is a one of our colleagues, a great part of that, and, and uh, leads by example um, with uh, with that aspect of the work as well. We can all agree, leading during a pandemic is especially hard, um, and both touched on specific things in terms of working remotely, missing the banter. I'm certainly missing that working from home mostly these days, and also just having that opportunity to touch base with people informally is also something that's a huge challenge. Um, But I must say that the college's response to COVID has been exemplary in in my opinion. Um, You've launched so many things virtually, have changed the delivery of certain courses and the delivery of exams as well. Ron Parks, would you want to expand on that a little? So the college's response to COVID and its impact on training and what you've done to try and make the college accessible to members and fellows during this difficult time. Thanks, Ceci. Yeah, it's been vital. You know, it's important. What does the college exist for? It it exists for its members and fellows. So, you know, a priority had to be um, engagement with with the fellowship and membership. Uh, And I guess the avenue that we opened up uh, and has been hugely successful has been our webinars. And our webinars aren't something we just started because of COVID. They've been going for um, a, a long period of time and we've built up a lot of strong relationships with some of the specialty associations uh, and indeed internally developed a lot of webinars historically long before COVID that had been running. But I guess that provided us with the infrastructure, the technical ability to be able to scale that up um, significantly. So that became really our focus of engagement with with fellows and members. Um, And there were so many topics that we had to cover um, that were relevant. Uh, Communication, I think, through COVID has been key and, and getting the right messages out there. Um, So we set up a series of of COVID-focused or or COVID-interest webinars every Monday night. It uh, became, you know, seven o'clock on a Monday evening uh, at home with the the Royal College of Surgeons in Edinburgh. And we put together a little group who who started thinking about content for that uh, and really planned a series of weekly, weekly webinars. Um, those have been hugely popular. Uh, I, th- I think we have had over 25,000 um, people who have registered for those, uh, the vast majority of whom actually tune in and listen. We've run, I think, over 50 um, uh, webinars, all COVID-related, covering what's topical at the time, but also what's relevant to, to different cohorts to different groups um, to trainees to trainers to allied health professionals to dentists the dental faculty so, so we've done an awful lot to engage with the various um, faculties and membership across the college we've, we've tried to keep 
colleagues updated about what's happening at a political level, you know, what, what the college is doing, what Mike with with um, other members of the academy are, are lobbying for with, with the, the access that they get to chief medical officers, to the Department of Health, etc. So, so that's been a really important, keeping people aware of what college is doing, but it's also provided as an opportunity to update on what we're doing educationally and, and how we're trying to support trainees um, how we're keeping them informed of what's needed um, to, to allow them to progress, what's been happening in the background to try and get all the exams up and running again so we've been bringing in you know, people like John McGregor as chair of JCIE um, like John Hines as you know ICBSE chair, we've been engaging with people who will provide the most up-to-date information, Gareth Griffiths from JCST, um, you, you know, that's what, what we've been trying to do. So hopefully we've been helping keeping people informed of what's happening, um, um, but also what, what we need to be thinking about training, service delivery, the impact on cancer service, um, the, the availability of PPE if we go right back to the start and some of the big difficult topics that we were dealing with. Where we go from here on is is to continue these, at least in the short term, to have our Monday evening series. Um, we're still planning for what that will look like in the coming weeks uh, and months, but also trying to re-engage with how we deliver education in the future, which is undoubtedly going to have to include some online delivery of, of knowledge-based and information. So, so that's the, the way the whole education department is starting to think. How do we deliver more of our education online? How do we use this technology that we're all adapting to? How do we do that better and, and make it relevant? How do we get across some of the course material that previously we'd have delivered face-to-face? But we've also recognised that, I guess, as surgeons, we're, we're involved in a craft specialty. Uh, we have to learn some technical skills. Uh, and there's no doubt that some of the courses that we run do require face-to-face -face, um, components to it. So we're also now thinking how we um, take forward the face-to-face -face elements. And indeed, we have already run very successfully some face-to-face -face courses. And between now and Christmas, there's another I think it's 63 face-to-face -face courses already planned and organised, all with appropriate social distancing. So what we've learned, we're trying to now merge into what we've always been doing and keep business running as usual. So education is up and running again and plowing ahead, full steam ahead. We've got the exams and all the the adaptions that have been made to the MRCS, FRCS to allow those to continue uh, and then keeping engagement with the uh, Department of Health, with NHS England, with NHS Scotland in terms of service delivery and how the college can support the whole remobilisation of the clinical workforce. So that's just a flavour of some of the things that are uh, you know, live and ongoing at the moment. Uh, as a paediatric surgery trainee, I've actually had colleagues that have recently attended the basic skills in paediatric surgery, which is a face-to-face -face course that was um, delivered recently, I mean, actually last Thursday, um, in a modified safe, socially distant way. And um, from what I'm hearing, it was extremely successful. So even at a trainee level, I, I can see the impact of what the um, college is doing. As surgeons and as technicians, I would like to get your opinions on elective surgery and the impact this pandemic has and what sort of things the college is doing in terms of giving advice to governments and clinicians. Well, um, the, 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 the most profound effects um, were felt during the first wave um, of the pandemic and uh, it was announced that all elective surgery would stop. And uh, that was uh, done for two reasons. One was to free up beds, um, much needed beds, to take the huge number of um, uh, vulnerable and uh, poorly patients with COVID-19. Um, and secondly, because there was evidence um, from Italy and from China that outcomes from major surgery 
um, in a COVID-rich environment, which um, resulted in perioperative coronavirus infections, resulted in very, very disappointing outcomes, up to 20 to 30% mortality in major surgery. And, and so um, electoral, elective surgery was, was, um, was cancelled, and uh, this had a huge impact on cancer surgery. And whilst some cancer surgery did continue, um, and more latterly during the first wave, some of the, um, the less physiologically major surgery, such as breast surgery, skin cancer surgery, were done in um, cold institutions like independent hospitals uh, and so on. Still, the very major cancer surgery, about 85% of it was um, postponed. Uh, some units managed to continue and they managed to create their own um, COVID light environment and got very good results during that. Edinburgh Royal was one of those, for an example. Uh, I know that in Newcastle, my own unit, esophagogastric cancer unit there, also continued to work with very, um, very acceptable results. And so some units did continue to do some surgery, but there was a backlog. And there wasn't just a backlog in doing the surgery that was already planned. There was a huge backlog uh, developing and still exists in terms of diagnostics. And patients were, um, for the most part, for two reasons. One being public spirited didn't bother the NHS because um, they felt that the NHS was too busy. And so they, they put off their um, investigation of their symptoms. They didn't go to their doctor. Uh, and there was a group, and more latterly, I think that was the larger group, which, were, which didn't want to come to hospital because they didn't want to get, they felt that that was the place that they would get infected with COVID because that's where all the COVID patients were. And there's no question that nosocomial infection did happen in hospitals. Um, I think that that this second wave, we're still dealing with the delayed presentation of those patients um, uh, with cancer. Uh, I think that the calculations in the paper in The Lancet uh, relatively recently were that there could be up to 5,000 uh, avoidable deaths. Now, I have gone on record about um, the impact potentially on cancer patients once again with this second surge, um, and that, that cancer surgery cannot stop like it did in the first surge. And diagnostics cannot stop as it did in the first surge because we cannot afford to have further delays in treatment or diagnosis um, going forward. And yes, we have a, a very worrying increase in the number of cases, but what we're seeing is this is more of a sporadic, um, that these are outbreaks in various different parts of the country. And so that there are some parts of the country that have very low incidence of COVID and that can, they can con continue to work normally. Um, and um, it may be that as we, we approach uh, the, the, the situation where there is partial lockdown in some parts of the, of the United Kingdom at the moment, the northeast of England, as you will know, um, and the northwest of England are badly affected. And it may be that if that, those ca in cases increase such that hospital admissions increase dramatically and ITU admissions increase dramatically, that there will have to be a reduction in surgery. Um, and if that does happen, then provision in other institutions outside of that area must be, um, uh, must be put into practice so that patients are not disadvantaged. There are lots of challenges at the moment and lots of anxieties about the second wave. And um, this is occupying all of our minds, the Royal College presidents, the chief medical officers. Um, uh, and because of my background, I am absolutely focused on the outcome for cancer patients and also the communication with these patients. We, we cannot underestimate um we we, un we do understand the potential delay in diagnosis of months and months 
I can accept that a delay of weeks uh, possibly will not affect long-term outcome, but the psychological effect on our patients is profound, that they have a cancer and they are waiting to have it um, treated or that they don't even know whether they've got cancer. They're worrying that they've got cancer and they're not getting diagnosed. They're not having the peace of mind. And these are really, really bothering me at the moment. And we, we don't have the answers yet, but we're working on it. Absolutely. And I think the passion with which you speak around this is palpable. And, and I hope as, as we as a country move forward, uh, we continue to have you and the other uh, three college presidents uh, give advice to politicians, policymakers, and those who have some say in, in how the country moves forward through a second surge. So thanks for that insight, Mike. Um, so I recognize how incredibly busy you both are, and I'm tremendously grateful for your time. Um, I thought we'd give you an opportunity to deliver one final message, uh, or two final messages. Uh, the first to the college staff, as you've eloquently put earlier, the college staff have worked incredibly hard uh, through the pandemic. And there's been a lot of anxiety around being furloughed, et cetera. So if you had one message to the staff who were listening to this podcast, both you and Rowan, what would that be? And a wider message to our members and fellows as we draw this podcast episode to a close. Right. Well, I would, I would just say this. I'm incredibly proud of our college staff. Um, they have risen to the challenge of remote working. Um, I think that the last year has been a great time for our senior management team and all the people that they look after um, because they have blossomed. They have absolutely delivered um, and their careers have developed. And as COVID has hit, they have had to do this from um, the, the comfort of their own home, if you like, but they have delivered. And I just want to thank them. I'm incredibly proud of them. Yeah, I, I would just echo that. It, it's been a pleasure um, work, working with not just the senior team, but but all the various departments and, and those that we interact with. Uh, and I think everybody across office bears and, and indeed the whole council who are engaged with the various su committees, subcommittees, uh, etc. would want to, to say a huge thank you. You to, to our, our staff. They, they've been incredible. They've adapted, um, but they've done it with enthusiasm and willingness. They've come up with new ideas. They've got uh, ideas themselves and innovations, and, and that's fantastic. So, so just a huge thank you to the staff. Great. And the final word. Uh, so we, we've obviously got members and fellows. Uh, we know the college is back open, uh, Mike. So have you got a final message on college availability, college accessibility, and where the college is at just now? Well, I've got to correct you, Greg. The, the college isn't open. Uh, it's virtually open. Uh, the museum is open. The hotel is open. But the college itself, the infrastructure of the college is not open yet. We're not having face-to-face -face committee meetings and council meetings there um, uh, we are running some courses, um, but the actual the, the structure of the college isn't isn't open yet. But members and fellows, we are delivering education with webinars, as Rowan has eloquently um, put to you. Um, we're doing that. We will continue to be here, and um, we value you. And we just look forward to the day when perhaps a vaccine changes the game, and that we can have welcome everybody back in the early part of next year uh, to face-to-face -face meetings and we can have um, the joy of developing relationships, a little bit of um, fun, as well as the important um, business of running the college. Thank you both very much. Every conversation we have is always inspiring, always insightful, and I thank you both for your time and the wider audience also thanks you for your time. Thank you, guys. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Gregory, and thanks, Ceci, and well hosted. My goodness, um, talented hosts. I think we can uh, sign you up for a lot of these in the future. We'll keep the recording going, Rowan. Keep, keep it coming. <laughs> <laughs> Always a pleasure to speak to Mike and Rowan. Uh, they're almost like the perfect double act. They're an absolute treat, weren't they? 
Yeah, they were. And um, remember, guys, um, the email you can send your questions and your comments to is comms at rcsed.ac.uk. We're really looking forward to hearing what you guys think. Absolutely. And next week on the show, we have another awesome lineup. Ceci, who have we got? Um, we've got the two Davids. Uh, we've got David O'Regan, who is FST chair and a cardiothoracic surgeon in Leeds, who's done absolute tons for training. Um, and also the chair of the trainees committee, David Riding, who is a vascular trainee based in Manchester. And they're going to be talking about all things training related and how to maximize your opportunities during these difficult times. Yeah, looking forward to that. Fun fact about David O'Regan. Apparently he founded the Silver Scalpel. More of that to come next week. Uh, always a pleasure to have you. Uh, Ceci, have a great week. And we will see you next week. In the meantime, kind to each other. Bye, guys. Bye.